0: Now, when is the last time uh, you've described someone as uh, generous? When when is the last time that you've thought of yourself as generous? Uh, Is generosity one of the traits that you want for yourself? Uh, Is generosity something that you aspire to or you think really highly of? Now, I think that uh, in this day and age, as you read The Straits Times, as you talk to people and things like that, uh, generosity is not something which uh, seems to be really high up on the agenda. I, I think if you look at the Straits Times, especially on the Sunday newspaper, for those of you who actually read you know, all those uh, features on people's lives on Sunday, you'll see that they feature people not for their generosity, but usually for their success, uh, for their entrepreneurship, for their savviness, for their intelligence, for their capability. But generosity is not usually one of the traits that they feature people on. But Actually, when you look at uh, chapter 8 of uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, generosity is the word that keeps being repeated over and over and over again. And especially in chapter uh, 9, five times in the 15 verses that we look in chapter 9, the word generous appears. So really, the big idea that God wants from us is that he wants his people to be generous. Now, if you look at me right at the very beginning, you see that Paul says something strange in light of what happens Happened last week in chapter 8, right? He says, There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. Now that seems really strange, right? Because last week he spent uh, 24 verses writing to them, telling them why they need to be generous or why they need to serve the Lord's people. And uh, in chapter 8, He had written to them, so uh, I'll give you a bit of background again, because I think the background is so important. So if you look up here on the slide, right? Okay, If you look up here on the slide, uh, this is just a breakdown of chapter 9. You'll see here that there's actually a bit of background that we need to understand in terms of what Paul is exactly talking about when he writes to the Corinthian Christians. So what happened was, in verse 2 he says, There's no need for me to write to you, for I know of your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia, we'll get to that where Achaia is, were ready to give. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them into action. But I'm sending you the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given. So remember last week, uh, we saw, next slide, that uh, Corinth was here. You see Achaia? Corinth was in the region, the Roman region of Achaia. And uh, we saw that uh, actually Paul had done a lot of ministry among the Corinthian church. Remember last week we said that uh, Paul had founded this church in Corinth. Okay, He had visited uh, 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 at least three times, which was a lot before Budget Airlines. He had been there for one and a half years and he had written at least four letters. Okay, So last week we saw the letters he had written to uh, Corinth. So the next slide. So we said that uh, when we look at the Bible, there were at least four letters written to the church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul had instructed, so next slide, which is uh, the second letter, I'll go back again. Uh, the second letter that, we, uh, that he wrote, which is our 1 Corinthians. Next slide. He had written in chapter 16 to them that he wanted them to collect money for the poor Christians in Jerusalem, in Judea, who were, as we understand, were suffering from a, a severe drought during that time. So he had told the Corinthian Christians that they were to collect a sum of money every week and set it aside and he would come through and pick it up and bring it to the church in Jerusalem. Okay, So, from what we understand, when they received this letter in 1 Corinthians, when they received these instructions, and Titus was down there, they responded to Paul's invitation or instruction with great generosity. They promised to give, right? So, next slide. Okay, they promised to give. They were very enthusiastic to give. They even... um, Uh, what do you call it, they were even uh, very, very enthusiastic about giving more than other people. And, uh, as a result, if you actually look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 again, in verse 5, I don't have verse 5 for you, but you can look it up at verse 5 later, Paul later said that he would be travelling through Macedonia. And Macedonia was a very poor part, uh, where there were poor Christians there. And that's what we saw last week. So the churches in Thessalonica and Philippi were suffering. But when they heard the churches there in Macedonia, when they heard of how Corinth was willing to give and eager to give and enthusiastic to give, they themselves were stirred to also want to give to help the poor brothers in Jerusalem. But as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the problem was that one year later, just one year later, it seemed as if their giving had diminished. They were dwindling. There was no more enthusiasm. Okay, so next slide. So you can see there that uh, just one year later, right, he had been in Achaia and he were, sorry he had been in, uh, in Macedonia, and he, he'd been trying to follow what was happening in events down in Corinth, and he, they weren't giving any anymore. So in the beginning, he was boasting, he was telling the, uh, the Christians in Macedonia how the people in Corinth were eager to give, but then later on he learned that they weren't. So now Paul faces uh, a very uh, embarrassing situation, isn't it? Because we know from chapter 8 that he's going to be coming down with a delegation of Macedonian Christians down to Corinth and his great fear is that when he goes down to Corinth that they would not have any gift or any sufficient gift to pass on to Paul and to Titus and the two brothers to bring on to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And that would be very embarrassing for Paul because he had shared with uh, the Christians in Macedonia how, how generous and how enthusiastic the Corinthian Christians were. But when they actually go there, the reality is very different. So that's the whole point really of verse 1 to 5, to say, look, uh, the giving that they had committed to was not a once-off giving, but an ongoing giving. And Paul was trying to say to him, look, uh, you know, your generosity, your enthusiasm, all those things were all well and good. But you need to continue to give. And this was a theme that we saw last week in chapter 8, isn't it? That giving, the generosity of people, was not based just on uh, emotion or sentiment or just a once-off, but was based on their relationship with Jesus. So if they love Jesus, the sincerity of their love in Jesus must be consistent <clears throat> with their consistent giving if they knew the generosity of Jesus to themselves, then they must be generous to other people. <clears throat> and I think that's what verse 1 to 5 is all about. It's, a, it's like a rebuke to them, saying, look, you started well, but you need to keep going. And I think for ourselves, we need to understand that as well, isn't it? That giving, or generosity, because the word generosity appears here, isn't it? Again, the first use of the word generosity Generosity is not something which happens just a once-off, but rather is a continuous thing in our life as a reflection of our relationship with God. But it's unfortunate because the reality is, for many people, generosity is not something which happens over and over again as a disciplined thing, but rather it happens as an appeal to emotion, as a once-off thing, and we forget about it over time. So I know of a student worker who works among uh, students in Australia and. And he was telling me how, when he first started his ministry, uh, he actually got more support than later later in his ministry, even though the people who were supporting him were earning more and more. And the reason was because, even though these people were earning more and more, they gave once, they gave twice, and they thought, okay, that was it. But they didn't realize that his ministry had years and decades to go, isn't it? I have another friend of mine who is a missionary in... Uh, the Pacific Islands, and he's been a missionary there now for about seven years. And he was also telling me that many of the supporters that he had in Australia uh, have given less and less and less over time. And he said it's such a paradox because just as his ministry is doing better and better and better, as he spent more and more time with the Pacific Islanders, the amount of financial support that he was getting from Australia was actually getting less and less, just when he needed it. So I think that as we look at this passage... Paul's point is very clear, and I think God's point is very clear, that giving generosity is not a once-off thing, but an ongoing thing. We cannot be like this relative that I, I know, who constantly tells us that he's a very generous person, and when you ask him, why are you a generous person? He says, oh, because 20 years ago I gave to the Salvation Army. Right? Because, you know, if we just give once, a big gift, and we think, okay, we feel good now, for the rest of my life, I can think of myself as a generous person, well, That's not the way that God looks at it. Because generosity here as we see is something that is ongoing. Now, obviously Paul doesn't stop from verse 1 to 5 and say, you know, shame on you because you made these promises I'm going to hold it to you. As we saw in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 uh, there is no commandment for Christians to give. There is no tithing for Christians. Uh, The New Testament doesn't use shame or the law to force people to give. But rather... The New Testament says giving comes from our relationship with God and with Jesus. So last week was based on our relationship with the love of Jesus, with the generosity of Jesus. But this week, Paul turns to a different principle to tell them why they should be generous. So verse 6 it says, Remember this. So he obviously wants you to pay attention. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a concept that we can be very familiar with, and I'm sure that the people in those days were even more familiar than we were because they live in an agricultural farming society. But it's very simple, right? You plant few seeds, you will reap very little harvest. You plant a lot of seeds, then you will reap a lot of harvest. And that's a principle that the Bible has in terms of generosity. But the key question, or the hundred thousand dollar question, is what will you reap generously? Now, I know that this is uh, this is verse six, chapter nine, verse six of two Corinthians this is a very favorite verse for people in the prosperity gospel because what they say is, well, the more you give, the more you will reap, materially, financially, well, sense. You know, so if I give ten dollars, God will give me back a hundred dollars. That's how they read it. I want to tell you that this is wrong. It is wrong because the rule of reading the Bible is always to read the Bible within its context. The context will tell you what it means to read generously. So we mustn't read verse 6 and say, okay, what do I want it to say? Or what do I hope that it will say? But we must ask ourselves what does it say within its context? And here, verse 7 to verse 10, show us very clearly that the reaping is not in a material sense. The reaping that we will get generously, if you see here in verse, um, in verse 8, is in good works. Isn't it? So look what it says there in verse 8. God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 10 is a parallel verse, right? And he says here Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest of righteousness. So the principle that God is showing us here is if we sow generously, in terms of generosity, we will reap a harvest, but not materially, but a harvest of good works and a harvest of of righteousness. Now I want to look uh, very closely at verse 7 to verse 8 and verse 9 to verse 10 because they're sort of parallel verses and they show us how we actually reap a, a great harvest, how we are reaping generously. So let's look at verse 7 to verse 8. He says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now this is a a very important verse, isn't it? Because it confirms what we we studied last week, that we no longer give 10% or the church cannot demand that you give 10% in tithe because we no longer give under compulsion or give reluctantly. As we saw a few weeks ago uh, when we speak, spoke, spoke about tithing, uh, the tithe was a religious and welfare tax on the, the nation of Israel. But since for us as Christians today there is no more temple, there is no more priestly system, there is no more poor people in the land to take care of, we do not give 10% out of compulsion. But rather, we are to give cheerfully. And how are we to be live cheerfully? Well, we are able to give cheerfully because God blesses us so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you abound in every good work. Now, if you look at this passage, um, you see that uh, actually God gives us all things, right, all times. And, if, and, and the word that keeps being repeated here is all, isn't it? God has given us everything, all things at all times, so that every situation, we are able to give. Now, that's a really radical idea about our money and our wealth. Because when we think of wealth and money and the things that we get, we think that we, God has given it to us so that we can spend it on ourselves. So that we can enjoy ourselves so that we can enrich ourselves, so that we can hoard it. But look at what it says in verse 8. God has given you all these things so that you will abound in every good work. See, we do not own the things that God has given us, but God has made us stewards, so He gives it to us so that we in turn will use it for every good work. Now I remember I told you this illustration last week and uh, I told you about this very, very rich uh, Christian surgeon that I knew who didn't uh, give a discount to this poor Christian that I knew who needed surgery. And I was thinking, you know, you see, this rich Christian man has failed in using his wealth as a steward. God has given him all, but he has failed to use his wealth to abound in good works to help other people. And that's what verse 7 and verse 8 is about. See, you are able to give generously and cheerfully when you know that actually the money that God has given to you is not for you to keep and enrich yourself, but the purpose of it is to help other people, to do the good works God has prepared for you. Now he goes on in verse 10 to say, Now he who supplies... Uh, Seed to the sower. Oh, sorry. Sorry, verse 9, not verse 10. We need verse 9 as well. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now, as we look at this uh, passage, uh, we see that um, there's a quote from Psalm 112, verse 9. And uh, when you look at this quote, uh, it actually speaks of, in its, faith, in its original context in Psalm 112, of this person, of these people, who because of their piousness in and, and giving and helping those who are poor, their acts of righteousness endures forever. Now, when you think about it, um, righteousness in the Bible is seen in two ways. Okay? So you need to pay attention here because this is a theological point. There are two types of righteousness in the Bible. There is our righteousness in who we are today. Uh, so technically, theologically, it's called your forensic righteousness. Okay? So it's like, uh, imagine if you're CSI and you have an autopsy of yourself right now in your spiritual condition. You are righteous before God because Jesus Christ has died for you and taken your sins away. So you are righteous before God. But at the same time, there are, there's righteousness that we need to do as God's people. Okay, as God's people. And this is what we see in the next slide. Is it there? The Luke passage? No, I don't have it. Okay. If you if you look um, in uh, sorry not look if you look in the, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter six, right in the sermon the Mount, uh, within the sermon of Mount, Jesus keeps saying, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Right? so there is our state of righteousness before God because Jesus has cleansed us, but because we are saved as God's people, we have to do acts of righteousness before God. These are the the righteous acts that we are prepared for us to do. And that's exactly what God has in mind here when He talks about the harvest of righteousness before us. The harvest of righteousness. It means that these are all these acts of righteousness that God has has prepared for us and we can only do it if we sow generously. And the whole point here I think is in verse 9, isn't it? Because this righteousness endures forever. Look at what it says there in verse 9. Their righteousness endures forever. So when you go to a prosperity gospel and they say, Oh, you know, actually, when you sow generously, you will reap generously in a material sense. That is altogether too low. Right? It's altogether too trivial. That is altogether too uh, cheap. Because what God has in mind is when you sow generously, you will reap an eternal righteousness. This righteousness endures forever and ever. So, if you think that you sow generously and God is going to give you a car with high COE, a house with high resale value, and clothes with high branded value, then that's not what God has in mind, isn't it? Because God has in mind eternal righteousness. you you reaped A harvest of eternal righteousness. I remember this um, children's church uh, leader once said, uh, what is the difference between a a Hyundai and a a Porsche? So, you know, what's the difference? What's the difference between my uh, Uniqlo and, I don't know what's the expensive clothes, Um, something else? Okay, what's the difference? And he said, there's no difference, isn't it? Because it will all be burnt up on the last day. It is a Porsche is just a more expensive firewood compared to your Toyota. And he says what's really important are things of eternal value. And that's exactly what the perspective here in the Bible is, isn't it? Use so generously these material things that God gave you so that you will reap generously a harvest of righteousness. Something infinitely more valuable of eternal value. Okay, then um, the Bible goes on to say this, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everybody else. Now, if you look at this passage, the point here is that when we give, we get praised. No, that's not what it says, right? When we give, three times it says, it will result in thanksgiving to God in verse 11. In verse 12, it will result in many expressions of thanks to God. In verse 13, it will result in people praising God. See, why do I give? I give so that God gets praised. See, God gave me this wealth as a steward so that when I give generously, God is praised not me. Because God gave me the wealth. Isn't it? I, I didn't generate the wealth myself. God gave me this wealth, so I gave generously and God gets praise. Now I remember um, going to this church. I visit churches during my holidays. And the pastor of this church challenged us and said, you need to give more money to our church. You give more money to our church because it makes more financial sense. Because how much interest can the, church, uh, can the bank give you? Right, 3%, 2%, 4%. right? But the church can give you 30, 30 times more, 60 times more, 100 times more. So, it is financially more prudent for you to put your money in the church. Because God gives a better return. And that's what he said. Now, that's very different from what God is saying here, isn't it? Because it says very clearly that we do not give generously because of the profit motive. We give so that God is praised. See this, see very clearly in verse 11. God enriches us in every way, and the word there is so that is a purpose phrase, a very clear purpose phrase. You will be rich and rich in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see, the church is not a bank, it is not a retail bank. It is not an investment bank. It is not a wealth management company. Okay, if you think so, then it's, it's, a, it's not the biblical picture. You see, we do not give out of greed. See, that's what the prosperity gospel is saying, isn't it? You give because you will get back more. So what is the motive for giving if you go to prosperity gospel and you give? It is greed. I only give you the $10, or I'll give you what? The $50 I have in my wallet, because I expect you to give me uh, sixty times, well, three hundred, three thousand dollars back, or three, you know what I mean, or sixty thousand dollars back, whatever. But that's a giving because you're actually greedy, isn't it? But here it says that we are to give so that God is praised, God is thanks. It's not for ourselves; it is for God's glory. Now so I was talking to um, uh, this. Time friend I know, he's an older man in the 60s, and he he was saying, oh, you know, if you go to the internet website, I don't know, Stomp or whatever, he said that you can see these young people being interviewed about whether they should clear their trays at the hawker center. And these young people say, oh, you know, uh, why should I clear my table? Because if I clear my table, I'm saving the hawker center money. I will only clear my tray if you give me a discount. Uh, and then he was saying, how, uh, because he's an older man, he said, oh, you know, you see young people like that, so selfish, right, so money-minded, only about themselves. Then he said, okay, you can go to some some other storm video, right? And uh, they interview some other young people, and they said, oh, uh, why should I give up my seat for the handicapped, or the old person, if I'm sitting on the handicapped seat? I pay the same price as the other person. Actually, the, the, the older people pay even less than me, right? Unless you give me a discount, then I should give up my seat. Why should I give up my seat? Because you know, I paid the same amount of money as other people. Uh, you know, show me the money. And he was saying, you know, that the people, basically the young people, who wouldn't give up those seats or play their trades, were selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed. And I guess in many ways that's true, isn't it? But we can be the same way. If we believe that we are generous so that we will get a lot more from God materially, then we're acting self-interestedly. But the Bible says very clearly here that God enriches us so that when we give, it is not for our self-interest, but for God's praise and thanksgiving. Now, in many ways, when we give, we cannot steal from God, isn't it? We cannot steal from God in terms of getting the praise that is due to God and thanksgiving that is due to God. So sometimes, you know, you go to some buildings, I won't name the buildings, but I'm sure you've noticed them before, and you go there and you see these big uh, wooden boards in the foyer, right? And then you see, oh, how much, you know, this, on this board, someone has given more than half a million dollars, someone has given more than a million dollars, someone has given more than 50,000, someone has given 50,000, someone more than 1,000 dollars, all that stuff, right? And you see all the names there. Now, isn't that, when we do that, if you give so that your name can be up there, aren't you doing it and stealing God's praise? And stealing God's thanksgiving? Because God gave you this money so that you would do the good work, so that He would be praised and give, and, and thanked. But rather, it is you who are thanked and you who people praise. In the same way, when God gives us wealth and we choose not to do the good works or be generous, then are we not also stealing from God the praise and the thanksgiving that is due to God? Because we have kept that money for ourselves instead of giving it away so that God will be praised. Now in verse 14, Paul keeps going on. He says, And their prayers for you, their hearts, this would be um, the poor Christians in Jerusalem, will go out to you, because of the surpassing grace God has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now we said last week, and uh, that's why it's so important for us to keep looking at the Bible sequentially over and over again, that grace is, it plays a very big part in uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9. And we said that in the book of Corinthians, grace acts in two ways. So grace is unmerited generosity, it's a uh, kindness given which is not deserved, Right? So God gives us grace in two ways. Okay? God is gracious to us because He saves us in Jesus Christ. So God is gracious to us because of a salvation reason. But the second reason God is gracious towards us, He shows grace towards us, is when He gives us spiritual qualities, spiritual gifts. Right? So we saw that in uh, 2, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where He talks about faith speech, knowledge as being the gift of grace to His people. So, even our faith doesn't come from ourselves, but it is a gift from God. And here, as we saw again in 2 uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, verse uh, 7, giving or generosity is also a grace of God. See, when God gives us wealth and puts in us a generous spirit; he is showing his grace towards us. That's why the, the the Christians give thanks for the surpassing grace God has given you, because he's given them both the wealth and the heart to be generous to them. That is the grace that God has given to the rich Corinthian Christians. So we really said, if uh, you remember last week, that generosity is something which comes cheerfully out of God's grace. It is not a compulsion. Because as we saw last week, there are people who cannot afford to be gracious. There are some people who God has not given this grace of generosity. Because they are poor, they are financially burdened with sickness, they are unemployed, they face financial difficulties, so God gives them grace in different ways. But they do not receive the grace of rich generosity which the Corinthian Christians had or had been given. So in the same way, he's saying, in verse 15, that give thanks to God for this indescribable gift. Right? So this ability to be generous, this ability to help and do the good works and to have a harvest of righteousness, this is a gift of God. Now, what a mind-blowing thing to say. isn't it? What a mind-blowing way of looking at money. Because, Money is not given for our self-enrichment or for our selfish purposes, but rather it is God's grace to us so that we may be generous to other people so that He will be praised and we will be able to, to reap generously these good works and this righteousness. Now it is said that the last thing to be converted is a, a person's back pocket, right? Uh, for the guys, that's their wallet. And I think it's true because I think for all of us, every person, man and woman, uh, we are greedy by nature, and we are self-interested by nature. And I think that's what makes the prosperity gospel so dangerous. Uh, Don Carson said that it was from prosperity gospel is from the antichrist, and the reason is because giving comes from a selfish motivation from greed. I give not because of God's glory or the love of Jesus response to the generosity of Jesus. I give because I want more back. That is greed. But the passage here is very clear. Generosity is not a one-off thing. It is an ongoing thing. Generosity is part of sowing generously so that we will reap generously in good works and a harvest of righteousness. And more importantly, God has given us this grace of wealth and generosity so that He will be praised and He will be thanked. In conclusion, I want to share with you the story of a friend of mine who was in theological college with me. He, uh, he studied there for four years. He um, has a good heart, a good mind, good character. And he has given his life to ministry uh, among uh, overseas students. And because of that, he needs to depend on his supporters who continually are to give him money. And part of the Supporters are the overseas students that he ministers to. Now part of the problem is that over the years, these overseas students, some of whom he has brought to Christ, some of whom that he's ministered to, have gone back to their home countries, but they have stopped supporting him, those people who benefited from his very ministry. And it's got to the stage where he told me uh, last year that because the amount of financial support or giving that he's received from all these various sources is going lower and lower, that he may have to go back to work as an engineer. Now I was thinking, isn't that such a sad thing? Here is a person who has the abilities to be a a good Christian minister who has affected people's lives, who has the right character, who has been trained up, who has the gifts, but yet the people who he's actually ministered to He's actually changed. He's actually converted. Over the years, they're giving, their generosity has fallen. And I think that's really sad because it is not because they don't have the money, but because their spiritual understanding is lacking. They have failed to see that God has enriched them. Not so that they can enrich themselves, but rather, they can then do the good works. They can then do these acts of generosity that God has entrusted them with the money. So, as we look at our own lives, uh, let us really be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves do we see the money that God has given us uh, to be the grace of God, to be the gift of God which we can use in generosity to help those who are in need, to help those who deservingly need it within ministry, rather than enriching ourselves and look forward and look towards eternity and see that these good works. These harvests of righteousness, these are eternal things. And that really God has given us his money so that he will be praised and thanked rather than when we keep it and be seen to be poor stewards of the wealth that God has given us. Okay, Let's bow our heads and go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to commit to you our money and our wealth we pray that we will see that the money that you've given us, the, the wealth that you've given us is for a purpose. It is not so that we may be greedy to enrich ourselves or to be self-centered or self-interested. But rather, it is for the good works you prepared for us to do. It is for the eternal acts of righteousness which will stand for eternity. It is so that you will be praised and thanksgiving will flow abundantly to you. We pray for each and every one of us here that we will be good stewards of the money that you give us, that we will use it for your glory, that we will not see it as a one off thing, but an ongoing thing, and that uh, truly, through us, you will be able to use uh, the material wealth to continue to spread all these acts of righteousness uh, throughout the world. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.